Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. You guys have your Bibles? Open them up to John chapter 10. We're going to jump right in today. Uh, if you're new, uh, we're so grateful that you're here, and we're actually in a series entitled I Am. And really the heart of it is Jesus in his own words. I am. I am is a statement that um, God uses all throughout the narrative of Scripture to describe himself. I am that I am. It's a, it's a statement that encompasses um, everything that God is, that he's the beginning, the end. He's the alpha, the omega. He's the first and the last. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, which means all-powerful, all-knowing, all places at one time. He is God. It's a pretty bold statement, and Jesus, in his own words, is making a statement and declaring that he is just not a prophet or a good dude, that he is God, and that's huge. John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold, now we're going to use some language here that may be a little bit abstract to our culture, uh, we're talking about sheep, shepherds, Pharisees, things like that, all right, so just roll with me. He said... I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than goes through the gate or the door must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate or the doorkeeper opens the door and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they do not know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained to them, I tell you the truth, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me, they were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep do not listen to them. Yes, I am the door. Those who come in through me will be saved. I want to speak to you today from the subject of the doorway, the doorway. And Jesus is making a very bold claim, as we said earlier, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Jesus is saying in this statement, I am, I am God, and God is like a door. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and breathe fresh wind into my voice and God, um, this is all for your name. This is all for your glory, all for your fame. So will you just give us a demonstration of your spirit's power uh, despite anything else? God, that you would be glorified. In your precious and holy name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Doors are interesting, aren't they? Not really. <laughs> Doors are not very interesting at all, to be honest. In fact, we don't pay much attention to doors ever. Like when you're walking through the office or you're leaving your house or maybe um, you're walking into church or you're walking down the street, no one is like, oh my goodness, look at that door. You see the hinges on that thing? Right, unless you're in, in like construction then, then maybe you can appreciate a door a little bit more than the rest of us. But, and if you have 450 feet doors like NASA does that take 45 minutes to open up, you might stop and say, wow, that is amazing. But a lot of times, even if we see these big glass and opulent wooden doors, we may stop for a moment and say, well, it's a nice door as we continue. 
we just don't really pay attention to doors. Let me show you a picture of some doors. They're really not super special. There's tons of different colors and shapes and all that good stuff, but I don't think we pay as much attention to the door because we're not so concerned with the door as much as we're concerned on the environment that it's giving us access to. Isn't that true? In other words, let me say it this way. We're, we're more concerned with what's behind the door than the actual door itself. Now, many of us, no matter where, no matter if you're a Christian today or you're not a Christian, we can all identify with this one reality is that we know how it feels to walk through a door that pleasantly surprises us. Like maybe we thought we were going to walk through a door and it wasn't going to be so good and we walked through that door in life and all of a sudden it was like, this is great. I remember not too long ago we had a surprise party for someone in my family and I've always loved surprise parties except surprise parties today, it's like you have to surprise the guests too because somebody's going to spill the beans, right? Post on Facebook, are you coming to the surprise party? <laughs> right? So like you can't surprise anybody these days. But but it's something, I love the idea of all this life happening behind a door that they're completely not expecting. And they approach the door and they open it, which they do every other day, except they open it and it's a brand new environment full of life and love and excitement. Just something so amazing. We know how it feels to have pleasant surprises through doors that we just didn't expect. Um, maybe, maybe it's a college. Maybe you got accepted into a college that you never would have anticipated getting accepted to. Maybe you, you, you got a job that you thought was gonna be horrible and it turns out it's the best thing that ever happened to you. And you're so grateful for uh, the job that you're, at, you're currently working. It was like, man, I never anticipated that it would be this good. Maybe it was a relationship. Like, like when Jackie first walked through the door and she saw me, it didn't look very promising. But it would become the greatest door that she ever walked through on the face of the planet. And vice versa. But as much as we know how it feels to walk through doors that kind of surprise us, we also know how it feels to have an expectation and walk through a door of disappointment. Right? I remember that uh, Jackie and I, we took a trip to Israel. Now, it was about probably about eight years ago now, and we were going to the Holy Land. And so in my mind, I, I pictured Israel as really kind of rugged and still old school, if you would. You know, I, I think of uh, images of hillsides, and I, I guess in my mind I forget that technology also advances elsewhere other than the West. And I remember we're in Tel Aviv on the Mediterranean. We're in the Holy Land, and I open the sliding glass door. The beautiful breeze comes in. But the reason why I opened it is because I heard some loud music. And it's about 3 in the morning. Israel, what are you people doing out here, right? Opened up the door, and the club on the Mediterranean is in full, like they just opened. It's three in the morning. And I hear a Bay Area rap artist. I was like, you guys are ruining this for me, right? Nothing against the rapper, but you know, like I'm, I, I'm trying to get the nostalgia of being in the Holy Land, and you guys are, are, are slapping E-40 um, in the club. Shout out to E40 on that one. I'm like, you made it to Israel, bro. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, all right, Tel Aviv, it's a little bit more city-like. We're going to Galilee. The Galileans, Tiberius, the Sea of Galilee. Now we, I, I, I exit my hotel door in Tiberius in the morning. 
going down to the Sea of Galilee because I, I want to look over the Golan Heights because Jesus looked at this backdrop probably, you know, several hundred, maybe thousands of times as he just looked and just like, oh, my goodness. Well, actually, it couldn't be thousands because, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but, but I went out there, and I, my heart sunk. This is the Sea of Galilee, ladies and gentlemen, and, and, and people are riding jet skis on the Sea of Galilee. Like, this is where Jesus walked. Get off. <laughs> right? And then, and then it's like, jet ski on the Sea of Galilee. Hey, where can I get one of those things, right? <laughs> Jesus didn't need a jet ski. So, so that, that was it. That, 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 was, that was a pretty big disappointment as I walked through that door. But probably the, most, the biggest disappointment is I exited the door of the bus in the, in, in the ancient city of Bethshan. And let me show you a picture of this ancient city. It's, this is a city where after King Saul was killed, the Philistines dragged Saul's body through this city. Pretty incredible, right? You're like, yeah, that's awesome. But it, it's so beautiful. There's these ancient ruins and it's surrounded, like you have a couple of hillsides and there's a couple of, of, of different um, amphitheaters around this area. But as soon as you get off the bus, if you look off to the right, you see this, and then you look off to the left and you see that. I'm like, come on. After that, I gave up. I was like, let's eat. Let's eat. But we know how it feels to walk through a door that's disappointing. And I remember uh, back in the 80s, um, because I was an 80s baby, and uh, born in 79, and I remember the game shows would always have doors. If you pick door number one, it could change your life. And then I watched people over and over and over pick door number one, and it's like a cat. And then behind door number three is like a Ferrari Testarossa, Right? And, and you could see the disappointment on their face. And as I was thinking about this, I was laughing. I was cracking myself up because I was so grateful that God doesn't play games with us like this. I'm so grateful that Jesus doesn't say, hey, which door? Uh, hey, this door might change your life. This door might lead to death. What are you going to choose? He doesn't do that with us. He does something completely different. He says, you know what? Let me expose all the false doors and let me point you to the one true door. <laughs> By the way, I'm it. Because in reality, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. There's really only two doors in life, and there's the, the two doors are life and death. The problem is, is that death appears as many different doors, but it appears in forms of life. In fact, Jesus said, why does the road that leads to destruction in Matthew chapter 7? He says, why does the road that leads to destruction? And many are on this road. And small and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Now, now, for some of you, that's kind of your problem with Christianity. Like, why is that road so big and the road to life is so small? You see, the road to, to life, it, it may be narrow, but, it, but it's very obvious. It's not hidden. Jesus has made it very clear on who he is. He's made it very clear on the road that leads to life. And, and that's where a lot of us have some tension with Christianity because we're like, that just seems like a little narrow-minded. A narrow road, a narrow mind. And, and, and I would agree with you if it wasn't true. Because things are only narrow-minded if they're, if they're not true. Like if you had a terminal disease and the doctor said, hey, there's only one medicine for this. And you're not going to be like, are you serious? 
You're so narrow-minded. Can you give me like four or five of them? He's like, no, there's only one. You're, you're on your way to Walgreens, grateful, right? You're not, you're not wondering why, oh, this is so narrow-minded. There should be many ways. No, if it's true, it's true. And so Jesus, Jesus is, is, is going to paint a picture for us today because he's not trying to play games. In fact, he wants, to, he wants you to walk through the door of life. He wants you to experience life. But sometimes in order to do that, he has to, exp- he has to expose some of the doors that lead to death. Now, Jesus makes this bold claim. He makes this bold claim in John chapter 10 that we just read. I am the gate. I am the door. I, I am God, and God is like a door. I am the only way to life. That's a pretty bold claim. But in order to understand John chapter 10 and Jesus making this claim, you have to go back to John chapter 9 because he's making this claim based off an event that took place the chapter before. This is why it's important, ladies and gentlemen, when you read your Bible, you have to read it in context. Um, you have to understand what's really happening. If you just jump to, he's a gate! <laughs> like, try that. Go on a college campus, say, ladies and gentlemen, he's a gate! Give us a little bit of context, right? Help us understand this a little bit. So Jesus takes us back to John chapter 9, or we're going to go back to John chapter 9 and look at this. Now, let me set the stage for you. John chapter 9, there was a blind man who was born blind since birth. Fast forward, Jesus heals this guy, and the Pharisees or the religious leaders, whenever I say Pharisee, that means a religious leader. And these guys were... were these guys hated Jesus. Jesus was always messing up their money. He was messing up their, 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 uh, their reputation because he's like, you guys are not even real. Like, you guys got Christianese down really well, but I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near being a part of what you're doing. They, they, they did not like you. They wanted Jesus dead. And so Jesus heals this blind guy, and they're flipping out. Like, how do we know? How do, let's, they're trying to discredit him. How do we know that you were really blind? And how do we know this is really real? Jesus, how could God work through him? He's a sinner. And they're just, they're just losing their minds. Jesus always messed with these guys. And he, it, it's, it's so amazing because, listen, there's no life in false religion. There's just frustration and bitterness and anger and, and tension and exhaustion. Jesus is like, don't go down that door. It's horrible. But Jesus starts to unpack three doors that I want us to look at today. Three false doors that I want us to embark on in this event. And the first one is this. Many times, if we're not careful, we'll buy into the door of good over grace. And the disciples, look what the disciples said in regards to this man in John chapter 9. Let's look at it together. It says this. As he went along, he saw a man that was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, Let me give the disciples a little bit of slack because I think when people are suffering, we get awkward when people are suffering. Like, we don't know what to say. And a lot of times we end up saying, like, the wrong thing at the wrong time. I remember there was this one of our friends. She was in her third trimester. She was, you know, just feeling really pregnant at the time and and, and very uncomfortable. And I remember looking at her, and I'm a pastor. I'm trying to encourage you. That's what I do. And I look at her and say, listen. It's okay. You're in the final stretch. As soon as I said stretch, she kind of looked at me. I kind of thought like, oh, no. <laughs> like pregnant and stretched. Like you don't, you don't say that word. And all the ladies said amen. 
And, uh, and we just get kind of awkward. Uh, we went to a wedding this, this <laughs> we went to, I did a wedding in San Diego this, this last weekend. And I go up to this girl and I said, hi, so um, I could have sworn my buddy said this was his mom, but it was his sister. Hey, but then, but then she called me somebody else, and we high-five. We're like, we're even. We're even. And, uh, yeah, I felt horrible. I was like, oh, I was wondering why you look so young. I thought maybe like the age of five. Getting out of here. But we just don't know how to handle that. And so the disciples, bless their heart, they're doing the best that they can, and, and they really mean well, but unfortunately, um, they were misguided, and, and they were misguided because there was a, a Jewish tradition, almost superstition, that would say anytime there's a, 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 like a detrimental illness or sickness or deformity, that surely somebody must have done something bad. Surely somebody is responsible for this. And some of us have been recipients of some of this language, right? Like people, they, they try to, to comfort you, and, and you're going through it, and they're like, hey, like, it could be worse. Like, why are you telling me that? Could be worse? Thanks. Or what about this? You just don't have enough faith. Maybe if you had a little bit more faith. Come on, right? And people mean well, but they just, oh, they just kind of fumble around and we try to work through this. And the disciples are doing the same thing. They mean well, but, but they're really misguided. Now, it can be tough when others are doing this, but I think outside of others, we struggle with this internally. I think sometimes we have a mindset that chooses the door of good over the door of grace. Let me show you how that, how that works. Man, I'm doing really, really good, God. You see what I'm doing? So everything should work really well in my life right now. Or, or, or things are going well, so I must be doing good. But then let's say you're doing well in, in you know, however you describe that, and then all of a sudden all hell starts breaking loose and your life starts tanking in every area. Then you have a theological problem. And, and all of a sudden, you start to kind of uh, draw back to anxiety and fear, like, what's going on? Like, what, what am I doing wrong? Like, why is this happening to me? God, are you mad at me? Like, what, what is, surely, like, I've, I've done something wrong. Man, that's such a troubling spot to be in. And, and I always have to come back to this, and, and listen, at Fountain Church, we're going to constantly beat this over the head because we're constantly struggling with this as followers of Jesus. Like, if Peter struggles with this, <laughs> you're probably going to struggle too is we always have to come back to this reality that, that um, well, let me ask you a question. This might, might make it a little bit more personal, is how do you think you really get to Jesus? Or how do you think you really get to God? Is it, is it really based on what you do, or is it based on what he's done? Now, Christian, I know you know the right answer, but is that what you're living out? And, and the reason why, I, the, 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 a great way or a great gauge to do that is let's take a day that you're just like, you're failing spiritually, it's like the worst day. You slap the dog. You cut somebody off on 580. <laughs> secretly cussing your heart at your boss or somebody at school. Do you feel as confident on that day approaching Jesus as you do on the day that you're killing it? It's a great gauge if you bought into the door of good over grace. So what about entitlement? Like, have you ever looked at somebody and said, I don't know why they get a wife. I'm far better than they are. Like, I'm doing all, I'm keeping myself pure, I'm doing all the right stuff, and they're like messing up, and they get the best? Come on, don't tell me you never felt like, kind of looked over the fence like, man, like, those wicked people sure seem to prosper really well, <laughs> right? Just following Jesus. 
Do you feel like that sometimes? I, I love what, what C.S. Lewis says. I think he puts it really well. And he says this. Or actually, let me tell you what, what Jesus said. Can you go back to that one? Sorry about that. Let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. He says, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in it. Jesus covered that. Listen, if you're going through a rough time, it's not because you're messing up. It may be. There's still consequences to our sins, so don't get me wrong. There's still consequences to our actions, but just because you're sick doesn't mean you're, you're doing something bad. Are you tracking with that? So C.S. Lewis, I love what he says. He says, a Christian does not think that God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. And so today I just want to encourage you that Jesus is inviting you to this door. He's inviting you to this door that will never disappoint. And it's, and it's not based on what you've done. There's nothing that you could do right now to make him love you any less. And there's nothing, that you, that you, there's nothing you could do to make him love you anymore. And there's nothing you've done to make him love you any less. It's the reality of the grace of God in the gospel. Even when we say that our own heart fights against it because it feels like that's just too good. It is. It is. The, the second one, that, the second door of death that Jesus wants to expose is the crowd over the cross. Now, now the Pharisees start harassing this man. Come on, let us know what's going on. Is this real? Were you really blind? And they're just fighting with this guy. And so finally, they say, we know what we'll do. Go get his parents. Let them confirm that this guy was blind. Go get his parents. Go get his mom and his dad. And you would think like, yeah, go get my mom and dad. Poor guy, but look at his parents. Look at their response. They said, yeah, this is our son, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Really? Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Ouch. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. So what they basically, their analysis was, this is going to cost us too much to identify with this man. It's going to cost us way too much. It's, it could cost us our reputation. It could cost us our, 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 our relationships. It could cost us um, even being able to go to the temple. It's just not really, it's going to cost us too much. And it's easy to point the finger at the parents like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you did that. But how many times have we not brought up Jesus in a conversation because we want to avoid controversy? How often have we, have we not brought up the Savior because the co it might cost us a little something if we do that? Oh, I don't want to ruffle feathers. Don't want to stir the waters. I'm just going to live by example. And, you know, come on. So many times we give into the crowd over the cross because the cross, it's going to cost us a little something, but the crowd is going to cost you a whole lot more. And, and the reason what, what, and why this door is so dangerous is because when we choose the crowd over the cross, it's really hard to see Jesus. And it's really hard to see Jesus because we put people as great over God. And then because we, put, we elevate people over God, um, we also want those people to think we're great. And all of a sudden, our affirmation starts to come from people's opinion rather than the cross. Our affirmation starts to come from the crowd rather than the cross. And, and, and in that place, ladies and gentlemen, it's so hard to see Jesus when you've walked through the door of the crowd. It's so hard to see him because you become slaves to their opinions and you need that affirmation 
when really all you need is the cross and the affirmation that screams every single day, you are valuable. But now, I, I know, again, this can happen in everyday life, and, and let me let you into my world a little bit. Be, and if you ever think that, like, pastors are perfect, I'm about to crush that paradigm right now. And it may be a little bit painful, um, so you may not even come back, but it's okay. Because the cross over the crowd. So I, I was at a conference, <coughs> and um, the conference was a, a couple days long, and I, was, I ended up meeting a pastor that I kind of looked up to, and... Um, you know, they're a lot further ahead of us than we are as far as years go. And, and um, pastor a pretty large church, and we're exchanging numbers. And he looks at my phone, and he sees that I have 15 unread voicemails, right? And we're at a conference. So normally when we're at a conference or something, I don't, I don't check my voicemails uh, until we're done. Because if I, if I clear it and, and I, I get, we get so many different calls cause from a lot of different places, and if I... If I open up the call, I'll probably forget to call back. So I have to make sure that until I can sit down and actually call the people, that I won't wipe it off my phone as like it's red. Anyways, that was a long story. Um, <laughs> I need your approval. All right. <laughs> Trying to preface this before I give you my, my soul. So, so he looks at me, and right away, he's like, man, and right away I took that as you see me as irresponsible. And so I said, I said in that moment, I said, oh, all these are from today. Majority of them were, but not all of them. I exaggerated, hashtag lied. And in that moment, you're like, oh, my goodness, see, the pastor lied. Yeah, it's a temptation. Because the crowd, you're saying you're young and immature. Really? Really? Okay. Um, so... I look in and I look and instantly I know, like, what's wrong with me? Like, I know way better than this. Like, in this moment, I knew that I'm choosing the validation of the crowd over the, than the validation of the cross. So I'm going to tell you what, when you walk through this door, it only gets worse because you got to go make it right. And so I, I had to go, I immediately went to him and said, hey, bro, and I just explained everything. He's like, oh, man, I don't care. But in my heart, in my, he's like, I do it too, right? <laughs> But in my heart, I needed to, I, in my heart, I needed to make that right because I, in my heart, I, I, regardless of what he thought of me, even if he thought I was crazy, it didn't matter because I, I, I need to live in the affirmation of the cross and not the affirmation of the crowd. It's so liberating. It's so liberating to do that. So let me ask you um, just a couple of questions. Is fear keeping you from the door? Is fear keeping you from the cross? Is the opinions of people. Listen, I know it's going to cost you a little something to follow Jesus, but it's going to cost you everything to not follow him. And this is, this is so heartbreaking because we, we see throughout the narrative of John, all these people were curious about Jesus, but nobody said anything over and over and over because they were afraid of the religious leaders. Listen, Jesus was so compelling and beautiful. Even the religious leaders, some of their group was like, I'm compelled but I'll never say anything because they were afraid. So, so how has fear worked into your heart? Have you, have you stepped into the door of the crowd for your affirmation or are you living in the cross? And, and the last one that I, I want to read to you is that Jesus exposes to us is hostility over humility. Hostility over 
humility. The, the, these religious leaders, they were staring bold-faced at a miracle. But because the undeniable was faced and met with the unexplainable, and it didn't line up with the way that they wanted things to go, their arrogance um, turned into hostility. It, it's, it's really tough to be indifferent with Jesus. Like, you really can't be in the middle with him. You're, 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 it's either hostile or um, there's humility. And let me explain, because some of you guys are like, well, I'm not hostile. But, but, but let, me, let, me explain. Let, me, let me explain. You can be hostile but, but very composed. When you, when, you, when you look within your heart or you can pose very quickly, listen, I am intellectually sound, and I do not need your Jesus. I do not need a crutch. I am intellectually sound, and I know how to live and navigate my life just fine. So I don't care about the evidence. I don't care about what's going on. I am going to do my thing. And this is what the religious leaders are looking at Jesus, and they're saying, we don't care. We just don't want you here. You're messing up our rhythm. You're messing up our flow. And their pride kept them from experiencing life. And humility, it seems like the path of like, oh, death. But humility is really a response that leads to life. So let me, let me paint a picture for you. Good crowd and hostility equals a false religious system. Equals death equals disappointment. But as a result of his grace... And as a result of the cross, he humbled himself unto death and made a way for you and I to experience life. Now, this is the great delusion and the great deception is so many think that Jesus wants to rob and to take and that he's a thief. And in reality, he's the good shepherd. So much so that look what Jesus says. Or let me, let me, let me show you the hostility of these guys. In John chapter 9, verse 33, it says this. If this man... We're not from God. So, so they're pressing this blind guy. They're, they're pressing hard on him. They're saying, tell us what, tell us how. He's like, man, I was blind. And like the great hymn says, now I see. Why are you asking so much? Do you want to follow him, he said? And they were like, what? Look what they say to him. You were born a total sinner. They answered, are you trying to teach us? You see the pride? And they threw him. One word, one translation said they expelled him out of the synagogue. No formal process. Just get out. Get out. We don't want to deal with the undeniable because it's unexplainable. It's not wrong to ask questions, but it didn't matter if they had answers. They just did not want Jesus and around. They did not want it to be true. And Jesus goes on to say, listen, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's where this passage comes in in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says this, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. What Jesus is saying is this, is there's two doors, and I've made a way for you. It's by grace. It's by the cross. And if you would just humbly receive it, life is yours. I am 
the door. Now I'm going to invite Cam up because we're, we're going to wrap this up because we're running out of time. I, I'm going to preach like two messages out of this because there, there's so much here. But I'm going to do like a part two next week of I Am the Good Shepherd because it'll all kind of tie together so you can't miss next week. He says, I am the door. You know, all throughout chapter 10, you may be wondering like, well, what gives Jesus the credibility to even make such a claim? Well, we see very clearly that he was highlighting the false religious system of his day, the doors that were leading to death. He was like, listen, you guys aren't real shepherds. See, a real shepherd would go through the gate. And all of a sudden, the terminology in John chapter 10 gets, gets a little bit like, whoa, because he calls himself a shepherd. Then he calls himself a gate. Well, which one is he? He's I am. He's the gate and the shepherd. Right? And, and he, looks at, he looks at these guys, and he says, you guys are thieves and robbers. That's not who I am. Let me show you a picture of a sheep pen in this ancient world. Normally, you would back up to a house, and you can see the doorway. And he said, you guys, you guys jump over. A real shepherd can walk right into the gate, and he knows the sheep, and the sheep know him. He knows them by name. Why? Because he named it. The, he named them. The, the sheep become his prized possession. And how many of you guys know God protects what's his? And see, as we walk through this door, there, there's, there's so many illustrations, but I, I just want to give you one quick picture is that Jesus is exposing their false credentials. He said, well, what gives Jesus the right to, to claim to be the door? Well, when you fulfill over 300 prophecies that were written about you over several thousand years, when you get that credibility, then maybe we could. That's pretty credible. All of the prophecies concerning the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the true door, the true gate. We see the gate open up in Genesis in the garden where uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were banned out and outside of the gate of Eden, there was a cherubim with a sword. And then we fast forward all the way um, to Revelation and we see the, this beautiful picture of, of a city that doesn't no longer, it doesn't need any gates. And then you see Jesus in the middle in John chapter 10. And he says, I'm making a way. I'm standing in the gap from that place of sin to that place of redemption. I am the gate. I am the door. And so the sheep, it would be so cool because they would come in at night. Come in at night as the shepherd would be leading them all day and they would, they would lay down in their pen. And this is, this is so special. The shepherd would talk to the sheep. He would whisper to them. And they just hearing his voice. Just refreshing and all of a sudden, all throughout John chapter 10, this statement, Jesus continues to, to restate that I am the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. Not only is he credible, but he's also trustworthy. It's a trustworthy door. And the reason why that pen doesn't have a door is because the shepherd, after a long day, he would take the garb off of his shoulders and, and he would wrap it around himself as the sheep are getting ready to go to sleep after he's whispered sweet lullabies into their ears, right? 
how awesome and powerful he is, the good shepherd. How all the green pastures that he led him through, hey guys, you're never going to find pastures like this ever anywhere else. You guys have no idea even what I'm saying. And he's like, yeah, just talking to the sheep. So what happens is, is at night there's no door because the shepherd would lie down in that gap. Lie down in that gap. And what he was saying was, I literally am willing to lay my life down for my sheep. I'm going to lay down. What he's saying is to intruders and to the enemy over my dead body. Will you get into this pen? And Jesus demonstrated that fully on the cross.